0: Are you here? (laughs) If I know you, you're here. And I'm here. So, what do we have here? Well, we've got an interview from the archives. Sherry Belafonte. Sherry's a woman who has accomplished quite a lot in her life model, photographer, writer, and like her famous father, Harry Belafonte. She's also worked as an actor and singer. Sherry Belafonte made for a lively, interesting interview with your host, Paul E. Leslie. This was originally broadcast on the radio and got quite a reaction. Oh, side note. Did you hear that Harry Belafonte was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? In the early influence category? Uh Uh-huh. At 95 years old. He's the oldest living individual to have earned that honor. Did you also know that the Paul Leslie Hour is made possible by people like you? Ah, yes. Simply visit www.thepaullesley.com slash support. And we thank you. And if you'd like to help the show, there's also a free way to do so. Free. Simply visit YouTube and look up the Paul Leslie channel. Click subscribe, and of course, ding, ding, ring that bell. It's free, and it's a big help to our mission. Well, I think it's time to hear that interview with Shari Belafonte. If you agree, say, De-o, De-o.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, our next guest has been described as a renaissance woman. It's with great pleasure we welcome Sherry Bellafanti. How are you doing? I'm doing just great. It's an honor to have you on the line. My first question, who is Sherry Bellafanti? <laughs> I've been trying
2: to ask myself that question for the last 56 years. <laughs> Right now, she's the keeper of all dogs. I have six pups, they're my life. My husband and my, uh, my six dogs pretty much are what I do. I'll call myself the second dog whisperer. I'm the dog wrangler.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but
2: um, I also uh, work with the Lily Claire Foundation which is for children with neurogenetic birth conditions like autism and Williams syndrome and Down syndrome. We just had a huge event in Las Vegas I have the photo show. I also want to be a director. I've written a script, a dance. I read. I watch television. I cry at the proposal, and I've seen it 15 times. (laughs) So I think I'm your average, ordinary, insane person.
1: Well, I don't know about average. That's a lot of accomplishments. (laughs) I think most stories are best from the beginning. What was life like growing up?
2: Let me see if I can remember that far back. I grew up in New York City, or I should say I was born in New York City, Manhattan. I went to private day school, and then when I was 12, I went to boarding school, which was actually my choice. I skipped a couple of grades and went to Windsor Mountain School, which no longer exists, but... Uh, Then transferred to the Buxton School in Williamstown, Massachusetts. Then went to Hampshire College. Then I went to Carnegie Mellon University and got a BFA in production, in drama. And really not in front of the camera. I was never supposed to be in front of the camera. I was always supposed to be behind the camera. Uh, When I was four years old, my grandmother gave me my first Box brownie cameras. <laughs> if I'm going way back, you know, the ones that little had the little flash bulbs that would blow up and would look like a big wad of snot <laughs> later. Then I got my first Instamatic camera when I was, I think, 11, and I always wanted to be behind the camera. I spent my entire sophomore, junior, and senior year in the dark, dark room, pretty much. Then, as I said, went into production at Carnegie. And then when I graduated from Carnegie, about four days later, I married my college sweetheart. We moved to Washington, D.C. Then I worked for a bank part-time. And then I worked for public television. Again, behind the camera, I was an assistant director and a production assistant and gopher. Then two years of being in D.C., my husband and I moved out to California to pursue our production dreams and I got discovered. A friend of mine was doing a movie called, uh, I think it was called Hollywood Night. It was Tony Danzen's first movie. And while I was on the set visiting her, the makeup artist on the set said to me that she thought I was pretty enough that I should be doing commercials and modeling. And I sort of went, you know, what are you kidding? I'm a, I'm a gopher, I'm a production techie hound. And she said, you can make a lot of money. <laughs> and that was the key word for me. That's pretty much it. And then I I did send out pictures to 10 different agents. Uh, Nina Blanchard was the one that called me right away. And I sent them out as my married name at, at that time was Carper. So she didn't know that I was Harry Belafonte's daughter. And she signed me up saying, good Lord, you're short, you're old, you're not black, you're not white. I was 24 at the time, so that was pretty old in modeling terms. Uh, she said, but I'd like to see if we can get something going. The rest is kind of history. I did some go-sees and got a couple of commercials, and Richard Avedon met with me, and I we uh, did a couple of Vogue covers. Actually, I think I did four or five Vogue covers with Richard, but he also put me on camera. Way back when, Brooke Shields had the Calvin Klein ads, and after she had done them for a couple of years, they needed a few of us to take her place. So it was me and Martha Plimpton and Andy McDowell and a couple of other actresses, who uh, a couple of other models who did the next wave of Calvin Klein commercials, and from there I was discovered for television. Uh, the producers of Hotel, uh, Aaron Spelling's producers saw me in the commercial and had me come in and read for Hotel, and then I guess the rest is history.
1: I'm going to go out on a limb here. Do you consider yourself an extrovert? <laughs>
2: Because I had a nonstop answer to that first question. No, 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 that's not what I
1: meant. I just meant so, so many of the things that you've done throughout your life have been in the public eye. And sometimes when you meet people that you would think could be really, really extroverted, they end up not being so much.
2: I don't consider myself an extrovert. I would think I'm more introverted, but more of an introvert. But... You know, there's moments. I think it depends on where the moon is in the sky at that time and how the planets are lining up, because there are moments when I'm off the wall insane and quite vocal about it. And there's other days where I just want to sort of hide in the cave with the puppies and my husband and not come out
1: for a few days. <laughs> I'd have to say I'm right in the middle. Now, you studied drama. Do you think that that experience... I studied production. Production.
2: Yeah, because I don't want to say I studied drama because that indicates that I was always focused on being an actress, which I never was. I studied behind the scenes design and lighting design and set design and construction and writing and producing. That was what I was studying. I took acting classes only because I felt as a producer it made sense to understand how all the elements fit together to get the perfect play or the perfect movie. I took a couple of acting classes primarily to understand what actors do, not to become a better actor.
1: When you were becoming a, a bit more of a public person, out of curiosity, how did your father, and for everyone out there that's listening, your father, the famous singer, how did he feel about you pursuing print work, commercials, all those different things?
2: I think Harry and Marguerite, my mom Marguerite, were both a bit concerned. Harry knew all the falls on the downside of not being chosen and how rough and how harsh it can be. So I think there was more of a an angst in, on both of their behalves of my probably not making it. Mom was a little more supportive of it, and Dad really tried to steer me away from it. But ultimately, I let them know that it, I understood the entertainment industry, especially having grown up and around it. You know, my parents divorced when I was two. Uh, Harry actually separated from my mom when she was pregnant with me, but... They divorced when I was two, but every summer, you know, I was on uh, vacation with him, and usually he was on tour, so I was backstage, and, you know, I certainly was almost the same thing as you saw little John John under the desk of John Kennedy in that famous picture. I was sort of lurking in the background, uh, listening and overhearing all the harsh realities of what the entertainment business certainly had to offer, especially for minorities back then, and... I think I was a little bit better prepared for it than they may have wanted to give me credit for, but Mom accepted it right away. As soon as she saw that first magazine cover, she was taking it all around Washington, D.C., showing everybody that I was on it. I later came to find out from some friends of my dad that he did the same thing. He didn't let me know that right away, but... Other people said, are you kidding? Your father carried that soft magazine cover around for weeks, (laughs) showing it to everybody. And, you know, that kind of quiet, subtle way, he was very proud as well, but, you know, was a little more reluctant to show it because he didn't want to give me the impression that everything was going to be okay for the rest of my life.
1: You had a music career as well. There's a 1987 release. You can still get it on vinyl. I got my copy from Germany.
2: <laughs> that's the only place you can get it from I think.
1: It's interesting because I I did some digging around on the internet and apparently you have a fan base of that album in Germany. <laughs> but just tell us a little bit about you taking that leap into music.
2: It's funny, I always liked music and I never thought of myself as a singer. I mean, Whitney Houston, now that's a singer, you know, <laughs> Natalie Cole, all those people those are singers. I'm kind of a stylist. I know that I am I am into pitch. I'm all about being pitch perfect, and I've always loved music, but I actually was offered this music career because of my popularity on Hotel. Hotel was a very popular show over in Germany. The producers from Metronome, which was a label that my two records are on, contacted me through my agent saying that, you know, if I could carry a note, <laughs> carry a tune... They would very much like to do a couple of albums, and it's funny. I, I was out the same time that David Hasselhoff was for, <laughs> releasing his, launching his big music career. So um, I loved the idea of doing an album, especially over in Germany, because then if it really was atrocious, nobody would hear about it here.
1: <laughs> plus,
2: you had the opportunity of of singing and having that, that little life without me being compared to Harry, or even if I was compared, at least I didn't understand, because I don't speak German. <laughs> so Whether or not the, they were comparing me and saying, oh, my God, she's certainly nothing like Harry, or if they were, like you said, there's probably a few people out there that liked it. It was fun. It was a lot of fun to go over and have that sort of separate career and not think in terms of having a recording career here in the United States. I actually never thought of that because I knew how difficult it was to have a recording career here. You know, you have to go on t- back then, it's obviously even more difficult nowadays. But back then, you had to uh, go on tour for months to promote an album so that you could increase record sales. I never had anticipated that I would do that kind of thing here. Whereas over in Europe, at the time, you didn't have to go on tour. You could do a half a dozen of these shows thing, you know, on the shows. And then uh, that would do well for record sales there. That's the way they sold records then. them. I love Germany. I went over quite a few times to either promote the album or to record. and I've been in love with the country ever since. It's a lot of fun. They weren't my choices of songs. That was the only thing. It's funny, I had uh, producers of the second album come along and they had written the song. They had just brought it out of the studio. And you know, just the, with the rough vocals on it of somebody else, uh studio singer. And they handed it to me, and they said, what do you think of this song? Do you think you'd like to sing this? And I listened to this song, and I went, oh, my God, yes, absolutely. That's our first single. I definitely want that on the album. It has to be on the album. That'll be a great song. That'll be really, really good. And when we submitted it to the producers in Germany, they said, no, 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 we don't see that that'll ever do any business, so... We're not going to let you do that song. And I went, wait a second. No, no, it's going to be a big hit. I know it is. And they said, no, nope, sorry. So they took it off the album, uh, and it was, Sometimes the sun comes down in June. (laughs) So needless to say, a couple of years later, Vanessa Williams got it and made it a huge hit. So I was always a little bummed about that. Another song that I had picked, that uh... had just come out of uh... bernie talpins had written it and uh, i heard it first and wanted it for my album and of course i didn't get that one either and that was we built this city on rock and roll I know i can pick songs i just don't get to always have them
1: <laughs> do you enjoy the process of making a record of going into the studio all that stuff
2: i really do i really do enjoy it quite a lot it's funny because I, I guess i didn't do it enough i still have these moments of thinking you know, I'd like to get back in the studio. I'm putting together a huge project, which will take forever to get done. My sister and family and friends have been saying to me for years, you know, you gotta, you gotta finish this. This is like such a cool thing. It's a science fiction story that I started writing, and part of it is my voice. I, I did go into the studio with a, with a friend of mine from years ago and laid down all the tracks, but it's, it's all, voiceover and it's all storytelling and it was weird, weird music. Nobody really has heard it. A couple of people have heard it and they've all gone, that's all your voices? <laughs> it actually scared my husband to hear that I had those many voices coming out of my head because, you know, I've done cartoons so every once in a while you got to come up with these wacky voices. I do love that process. I do remember one moment in the studio in Germany because, as I said before, I'm all about being pitch perfect. And it was this one day that, uh, I was in the studio and I couldn't hit a note to save me. I couldn't understand. I was very frustrated too because here I was in Germany and it was, I think it was a, the third song I was working on and, and I just couldn't hit a note to save me and I was starting to cry. <laughs> the producer got on my head so I said, he goes, Shy? And I went, yes. And he said, he says, I think maybe we should call it today. And I went, oh, no, 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 no. I can get this. I promise I can get this. And I was just getting very frustrated. And he said, I have to ask you a very personal question. And I said, okay. And he said, are we having our period? Wow. <laughs> I was blown. I went, oh, my God. That's like it was such an embarrassing question to have my producer ask me. And I went, well, Yes, but, when, you know, and then I started getting a little, you know, you get the PMS thing, you get a little mad, like a little angry, like, how dare he think that should <laughs> make it, and he goes, well, then definitely we call it today, and I went, now, wait a second, I know I can do this, he said, no, 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 it is just that there's a hormonal thing that happens, and every once in a while, just the first or second day, he said, I've worked with many, many, many musical stars. And he started listing a list of people, all very quite well-known singers. And he said, it's just these two days that sometimes it happens to the best of you. He said, trust me, he says, on Wednesday, because this is the money, he said, on Wednesday, you'll be fine. And sure enough, two days later, I was back in the studio and I was fine. <laughs> and that moment on, I, I've all I've like told other people, especially young singers that are starting out, we had a talent contest at this uh, event that I was doing in Las Vegas, and there was a couple of girls that just were really off key. And... At one point, I asked the mothers, I went, you know, could this be happening? And they went, well, yes, how did you know? <laughs> I said, well, let me just tell you an important thing to remember. So every once in a while, when I'm watching, like, American Idol or you watch some of these things and the girls are just slightly off key, I'm thinking to myself, okay,
1: well, I know what time of the month it is for them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have these various photography undertakings ah, that you ah, do. You did the postcards from Cuba, ah, you also have well, the one ah, Italia. Did you get kind of like the idea to do destination places based on the TV show you did, The Travels in Mexico and the Caribbean? Or how did that happen?
2: You know, it's funny because I actually did the the italian show. Those are all pictures that I shot on my honeymoon with Sam 20 years ago. Because I had been on camera for a while, I hadn't picked up my camera in a couple of years. And when Sam and I got married, Sam gave me a brand new camera and he said, because he knew, he said, you know, I I see these pictures all around the place that you shot over the years. and how come you don't shoot anymore? I said, you know, I, who's had the time? So we were getting ready to go on our honeymoon. He said, well, here's a you know, here's a little another little wedding present. I had actually was talking to Richard Avedon and said, you know, I'm getting ready to go off and. You know, I haven't shot in a long time, and I'm not a big fan of color. I really like doing black and white. And Richard was the one that said to me, well, because you're shooting 35 millimeter, he said, you know, there's a film that Kodak puts out. It's called Recording Film. He said, what's cool about this film is that you can set the ASA to anything that you want as opposed to, you know, if you get T-Max and it's 400 or 1600, A, you know, all the films usually have their own ISO or ASA rating on them. He said, this one is really kind of cool because, you know, you can set it whatever you want. He said, just remember to write on the canister when you take it out, you know, what you shot it at, so you'll know what the process it at. So I bought quite a few rolls of this film, and it, oddly enough, it wasn't a particularly popular film, and I'm sure it's because it was quite pricey. It was about $12 a roll back then, and, you know, and film was $3 a roll or $4 a roll, and this was three times the price. So I used to say either idiots or professionals use this film and I think I just was a lucky idiot because I shot a lot of this and of course you don't know what it's going to look like until you process it. You know, and like today, everything's digital so you can look at the back of the camera and see right away if you've got a picture or not. You know, I shot quite a few rolls of these and then I had them all printed into contact sheets and there were just a few that I had printed up because again, I got busy with my life and so now, 20 years later... While I was looking in my attic for some other things, I actually found these negatives, and I was surprised to see that they were still in decent shape because you know they weren't refrigerated; they were up in the in a plastic drawer in their plastic sleeves. I took them to the one last guy here in LA. It's a Photoshop that I use that really does print, you know, as opposed to just constantly digitizing everything. I asked him if he could just print up a few of these so I could see what they looked like. And I was really quite surprised and quite excited at how cool they looked because they look like old Italian pictures. When I was talking to John and David, who own the chair in the Maiden Gallery, which is where I've had a couple of shows now, uh, and they were discussing what my next show was going to be because I had done one Of the Mythostries, which was that science fiction thing that I was talking about before. And then I had gone to Cuba with dad. Dad actually asked me to come videotape and to do some home movie stuff for him that's going in his movie. He's doing a documentary about himself right now. So he wanted, because of the fact that it's, you know, there was a time constraint and a budget constraint, he called me on a Thursday and said, you know, bring your video camera and shoot me in Cuba. So the pictures that I shot in Cuba were really just, I shot those in a day the because I was so busy with the video camera shooting Dad that I didn't really have a lot of time to go around Cuba and shoot. Those two things were part and parcel, not really because of the travel series. It was because of other extenuating circumstances. And while I was on the travel series, I did carry my 50-pound camera bag everywhere I went. You'll even see me half the time climbing up Teotihuacan with his backpack on the back you know, and <laughs> schlepping up all this camera gear because I just always loved taking pictures. But uh, we used a lot of the photos that I did for the travel show for the packaging. But I've shot headshots for people. I've shot bugs and, like, microscopic things. And I've shot pictures of the moon. And uh, I got pictures of sunspots. I just love taking pictures. I think I was, as a child, just remember plopping myself in front of the television and being fascinated by that whole theory of a picture being worth a thousand words. Till this day I've always I've been in love with that moment that's frozen in time so even though there's a lot of stuff that's around traveling you know because everybody shoots nowadays you know I mean it's kind of easy to shoot great pictures with the digital cameras that we have you know it used to be a real art form because you had to shoot a roll and you had to just hope for the best at the end of the process thing that you had one or two pictures but now you know these digi cards can take Five hundred, you can get a thousand pictures on a card. So chances are you're going to get at least one or two good ones out of a thousand pictures that you take. And even if they're not any good, you can always erase them and start again. But you know, back then it was it was truly an art form. I like to think that I managed to capture some good moments. John and David, like I said, who are in the gallery, have been real nice and real supportive of my work. And obviously, they've given me a couple of shows. I also had a show at the Carnegie Hall Museum. And uh, my marketing manager is looking to put up a couple of shows here in California, which I have not done yet. I just feel very blessed and very lucky that my grandmother was the one <laughs> that put that camera in my hands and said, "Okay, now you know, stop bouncing off the walls and drawing pictures all over the walls, and go shoot some pictures."
1: <laughs> Any chance that you'll bring the the exhibit to Atlanta, Georgia, at some point?
2: I would like to actually maybe find out about that. That would be kind of a cool thing if you want to. Talk to Raji, you know, who I think you spoke to earlier. Tell her where we can take it. I would, I would love to have a photo show there too. Like I said, there's so many good photographers out there now. You know, it's tough to compete in this business. If you think there's interest there, I would certainly love to find out how, when, where, what, and how, why. <laughs> and Why not?
1: Well, let me work on it. Is there anything else on the horizons?
2: Um, there's, you know, it's funny, there's always stuff. My husband has been editing and, and doing special effects for this movie that we shot. It's a short that he shot, that he directed. I was actually the camera, second, D camera, the first camera operator was Danny Motor, who was also our, uh, he was the DP and camera operator. And, uh, I was his D camera. And, uh, it's a movie that Sam's been working on for, a little time a little bit of time now so hopefully we'll get that together and be able to take that out to the festivals. I wrote a script about Mary Fields who was the first black stagecoach driver that now is just being presented to a couple of people. So hopefully, you know, somebody'll jump on that and say, "Oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's let's shoot that. Let's let's get that one up and running." And I'm about to start writing another screenplay. So and and screenplays can take anywhere from a couple of months to a couple of years. <laughs> That's pretty much what's on my plate for right now. But uh, I'll always be taking pictures, and hopefully I'll always have a door at the chair in the Maiden Gallery on 19 Christopher Street in New York to display them at. Like I said, John and David have been really kind, and I think the show is doing well. People are, seem to be taking to it. They love the, the images. Even if I'd never sell another piece, just the idea of being able to show them and have people like them, I think that's that's the game plan for me. That and raising my puppies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> my last question, this broadcast goes out all over the world. What would you like to say to the people who are listening in?
2: I think they should all go to Jon Stewart's Back to Sanity <laughs> in March in Washington, D.C. on on October 30th. Unfortunately, I can't be there, but... And we're living in some interesting times right now. I think politically it's such a mishigoth that you want to, you know, reach out and slap some people around and say, come on, get get serious, get get it together. But I think everybody needs to have faith and just know that things are going to get a lot better. Things, I think, are already starting to get better, although it's hard to believe sometimes the way some people talk. My faith is in this president, and I'm I'm hoping that everybody else really sits back, stands back, and takes a good hard look at what we've accomplished in this country and all the wonderful things that we can continue to accomplish and be honest, be be truthful as opposed to telling some of the bare, bold-faced lies that are out there. I think it's more important to be honest with ourselves than it is to just try and get ahead for powerful reasons. So I would like that wish for everyone, I think, more than anything else. I think that's it. <laughs> oh, that and to be nice to animals. That's a big thing for me, too.
1: <laughs> well, well spoken. I, I appreciate the optimism. Thank you so much for doing this interview.
2: Thank you. Um, your voice sounds a little bit better than it did the last time, right? <laughs> uh, Roger told me that you caught my cold, right? Yeah.
1: You know, I thought about that. <laughs> you uh, you had a cold, and then I had a cold but I'm glad we had the chance to do this. I know you
2: called, and I sounded more like Harry than I did me. <laughs> you
1: did. You really did.
2: And then, I was, yeah, and then I was waiting for your call, and then uh, Roger called, and she said, oh, my God, he sounded almost as bad as you did. <laughs> so I figured you can just blame everybody. You can blame me for your cold, for catching that cold.
1: <laughs> it's been a great pleasure talking to you. I hope you make it to Atlanta at some point. That'd be great. It'd
2: be great for me, too.
0: All right. Well, have a wonderful day.
2: Thanks, and everybody out there, have a
0: wonderful life. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepauleslie.com. That's thepauleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primorano, the entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primorano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.